Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will cover everything from geopolitical developments overseas to voting rights here in the U.S., an update on infrastructure legislation, and more. So joining me here for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, it's great to be with you as always and looking forward to our conversation. Good to be back with you, Dan. I hope you're doing well. Thank you, Shane. And I know there's a lot of topics we want to get to during our conversation today. Maybe we can begin on the geopolitical front. I know we've been hearing a lot about Afghanistan in the headlines over the past few days. President Biden, he did hold a press conference yesterday on the status of the Afghanistan troop withdrawal, which we've spoken about previously here on the podcast, as well as the path forward for interpreters, which is an interesting point. So, Shane, I'm curious to hear about the key takeaways from your vantage point, as well as what the administration's policy stance is currently. Yeah, I think the Biden administration is a little bit on the defensive here um, with regards to their position of withdrawing troops uh, from Afghanistan by the end of uh, August, so the end of the summer, um, which the withdrawal has already begun. It's probably 90 percent done. I say they're on the defensive because there's been a lot of uh, pushback about what this means for Afghanistan and and will the Taliban uh, overtake the Afghan government. Um, so I think the Biden administration was trying to be less on the defensive and go on the offensive and explain um, their position and why they think it's time for this withdrawal. And, you know, President Biden um, was, you know, pretty, pretty steadfast. He digged in his heels about his position. You know, he's of the mind that, you know, um, we, we, the U.S., were in Afghanistan in the first place because the, then the then Taliban government was harboring uh, Al Qaeda. And since Al Qaeda is no longer um, harbored there, you know, it is time for the U.S. to, to move out. He is, uh, believes that we're not there to uh, build a nation, which has been a unsuccessful endeavor uh, in that region for a long time now. So. I think he's trying to turn the page from the Afghanistan war. Uh, And, you know, there are skeptics that are very uh, fearful that in in just the past recent days, um, since the withdrawal has really ramped up, you've seen the Taliban take over swaths of territory, especially in the northern part of uh, Afghanistan. Um, So a lot of concern about what this means. There have been intel reports that, you know, the Afghan government will, will likely fall in a matter of weeks. Um, so, you know, I think uh, President Biden's trying to set forward, you know, how he sees it. Um, but you mentioned the interpreters, and I think that's a very important part. There are thousands of people, um, Afghanis, who have helped the U.S. over the past 20 years in Afghanistan as interpreters, some as drivers or other um, functions. And the question is, what happens to them um, if they were left in Afghanistan and not, um, uh, you know, brought to the U.S. or some other country, the likelihood is that the Taliban will find them and kill them and possibly their families. So, you know, this is a, a matter of life and death for thousands of people. Um, you know, President Biden uh, essentially is saying that Congress needs to change uh, the laws to allow these interpreters to come to the U.S., um, so right now, the Department of Defense is looking for a middle ground of where they can bring these interpreters and their families um, for a few months while, you know, all of the 
legalistics, you know, uh, any law changes needed would be made so that eventually they could get asylum in the U.S. So, you know, I'm, 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 I think that will be worked out, but they need to get their plan in place, you know, for the interim to make sure that the safety of these uh, interpreters and their families is taken seriously. Well, thank you, Shane, for your take on what's happening here. Of course, there's no easy answer. There's no direct path forward, though we will see how this plays out. Time will tell, and I'm sure we'll follow up on this story in the coming weeks and months and see how things progress. Uh, I do want to come back stateside for a few moments. I know it's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke, though during that time, the Supreme Court uh, did rule on ballot access, uh, voting rights. So what can you share with us there, Shane, and how might in individual states respond based on what we've heard from the Supreme Court? Yeah, so the Supreme Court ruled in a 6-3 to three ruling um, along, I guess you could say, uh, ideological lines um, that the Arizona law, oh, well, actually, I'm sorry, two Arizona laws on voting um, are, are were upheld. Um, a lower court um, struck down these Arizona laws, but the Supreme Court ruled that they are constitutional. Uh, The first one would ban the collection of absentee ballots by anyone other than a relative or caregiver. And uh, the other um, allows for ballots to be thrown out if they were uh, cast in the wrong uh, precinct. So, you know, I think the Supreme Court saying that these two Arizona state laws are constitutional um, will propel other states um, to draft their own similar laws, and some states may be even more aggressive um, on this front. Uh, I think you're seeing a, a pretty ideological divide in our country about um, voting issues and how it goes forward. You know, I think the precedent for years is while we have the Federal Voting Rights Act in place, um, elections have been um, run by states and local governments. And that's what kind of this Arizona law does is try and, you know, uh, in one respect, you know, take ownership over their own elections. And uh, that will be followed up by other states, as, as I mentioned. On the federal level, this will um, bring back the uh, voting rights bill to the Senate, you know, as, as we discussed probably the other week, um, it, that bill has passed the House. It failed the Senate. But uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, the head of the Democrats, has has reserved the right to bring that bill back up for another vote. I think the reality is, is that it will, again, be doomed to fail, um, especially given that uh, Democrats do not have the votes to remove the filibuster. That is really the only way I think they could get this done at this point. There is not enough bipartisan support or even, you know, um, a path forward to gain bipartisan support. So I think on the federal level, you know, you'll hear more um, raucous about voting rights, but I don't think it'll uh, add up to anything. And then on the state level, you're going to see more states follow Arizona lead um, on similar laws. Well, especially coming off the most recent election, this, of course, a very sensitive and at times contentious topic. So it will be interesting to your point to see how this plays out with the individual states and something else we can follow up on, Shane. Uh, another topic stateside I want to circle back on, and we spoke about this towards the beginning of this year, that being the prospects for statehood granted to the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C. And uh, recently there has been some momentum noise surrounding 
surrounding this. So can you bring us up to speed on where this stands? Yeah, so I think about two weeks ago, um, a Senate committee held a hearing on the issue. Um, and you saw, uh, generally speaking, Democrats come out in favor of D.C. statehood, uh, Republicans opposed. I think Republicans uh, voiced opposition uh, in making D.C. the 51st state, but uh, there are Republicans that support, um, you know, the uh, residents of D.C. Uh, getting their own um, district, you know, maybe as a part of Virginia or Maryland um, and not making D.C. a state. So, you know, I think it was a very interesting hearing that that, that kind of covered all, a lot of niche issues within the greater issue of make, of what to do here. But again, going back to, you know, uh, we don't see anything changing on the filibuster. I don't expect any real uh, progress to be made at the end of the day on making D.C. a state uh, in 2021. Um, you know, I think this has been something talked about for years and probably will be continued to be talked about for years um, unless either uh, Democrats gain, um, you know, a filibuster uh, proof majority in the Senate or some compromise is made. OK, well, Shane, thank you for bringing us up to speed on where that stands. And it sounds like that story has a lot of runway to play out. So more to come there. And then maybe one final topic we can hit on. I know a couple of weeks ago when we spoke, we talked about the breakthrough with respect to infrastructure, that bipartisan group of senators, as well as the White House coming together on a, a rough deal, a framework. Now, following up on this and being mindful of the fact that the August recess is quickly approaching, uh, where do we stand on bipartisan? in legislation getting over the finish line, or might this be more so a case of the timeline extending further out into the fall? Yeah, no, great question. I think the good news on this front was this week, um, another Democrat senator joined the uh, bipartisan group uh, supporting this bill. So they're up to, I think, 22 now, 11 Democrats, 11 Republicans. Um, and, you know, that's, that's positive, obviously. Uh, getting more support. I think the the negatives here is, you know, that uh, the support is for a framework in general uh, and principles. Um, lawmakers are still struggling to put all of that down on paper and actual legislative text and agree on the um, nitty gritty details. Um, I think they'll make I don't know if they'll make progress quick enough to advance the bill um, in July. You know, um, the Senate is coming back in the session uh, this coming week and the House is still out until the week after. So, you know, we're going to see how the Senate does. Senate uh, Majority Leader Schumer announced that he, he it's his goal to bring that bill up for a vote during July. Um, but it would be in tandem with um, the reconcil- budget reconciliation to move a secondary package that progressive Democrats feel very passionate about. And that's part of the rub here is that um progressives do not want to see this bipartisan bill move in isolation because they fear it will put uh in peril the larger package that they more deeply care about that includes things like climate change um initiatives so this is extremely fluid um you know congress is typically out of uh dc in uh, august you know they have a district work period and also some of them go on vacation with their families um so you know leadership uh is threatening to you know not cancel all of that august um, recess work period but you know pull back on it to get some of this done i don't think that happens and i think this kind of 
uh, slips into to September. But, you know, this is fluid. We could see this come together quickly, or you could even see it, um, you know, fall by the wayside and Democrats are left to pivot towards um, a Democrat-only uh, reconciliation package that focuses on infrastructure. So, you know, this has uh, many ways to play out, per- many permutations of how it could play out. Um, so, you know, uh, this is going to continue to be fluid. I think overall we're still uh, somewhat optimistic that something gets done on this infrastructure uh, question. Um uh, but it, I, I, I don't think we're going to see resolution uh, completely until sometime in the fall. To your point, Shane, it sounds like a lot of cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, a lot at stake here. These next few weeks will be interesting, though. We'll see how this might play out as we head into the fall months. Uh, though, Shane, thank you very much for dropping by, for providing all of the insights that you did into topics overseas, as well as pressing topics here at home, all of which we'll look forward to following up with you on, though in the meantime, wish you a nice weekend and we'll look forward to catching up again with you soon looking forward dan i hope you have a great weekend and uh look forward to chatting with you next week thanks shane appreciate it and again today we've been joined by shane lieberman federal affairs manager with the ubs u.s office of public policy in washington dc now as a reminder to our clients and listeners please be sure to reference the latest edition of the washington weekly publication which can be located on ubs.com forward slash Washington Weekly. Now, for clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Washington Weekly publication directly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC. 